there are so many questions that came in this last week. Oh, yeah? So, cool. Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good. Yeah. I was telling uh, Danielle if, because uh, we get calls from people that are wanting to, you know, talk to Dr. McMakin and ask her questions and stuff. Yeah. And you should tell them to just get on the podcast recording. They can ask their questions there. Then everybody benefits. Exactly. <laughs> Hello. Yeah. Hello. You're like making your red carpet entrance right now. Yeah. Do we start already? Oh yeah, we're already like going. We're six minutes early. I have six I know. minutes left. Talk but there's like seven people here already, and okay. Kevin and I just wanted okay. to catch up. That I was seeing patients this morning, and I got home in time to put food in my mouth, put makeup on my face. There's only so many things a girl can do. You know what I'm saying? That's my day. I'm actually going to stop, I think, seeing patients on Wednesdays just so I can focus on this stuff. Wednesday is supposed to be my day off. But I remember I that. A patient from California who flies up. And I have a patient who's, he's in between Silicon Valley and now he's moving to some Jackson Hole. And we'll talk about this after the podcast, but you and I are seeing somebody together. He's seeing you and then he's flying back to see me. Yeah, right. And that's, he needs you. I'll I'll fix what I can fix, but it's, there's more to it than met the eye that I didn't find out until yesterday. Isn't that always the truth? It's never what you get on paper or what you think it is. Is it normal for someone to say, I can feel my dura is stuck here. And then when you fix that, oh, now it's stuck here. And then it, that's like, yeah. So I'll try and fix that before I come see you. That would be fantastic. <laughs> <laughs> I just figured out what it was yesterday. Wow. So that's that. It, I think it's fixable. We'll see. Crazy. It's, it's been an interesting week. You know, that, weird protocol that we do called TTH. Okay. Can you get out of my brain for just like 43 seconds? Because it's on my list to talk about TTH today. Well, we're here. So TTH is that protocol that is, that wasn't my fault to begin with. Right. It was a patient who came up from Los Angeles and she'd had fibro. She, we got her better, took, stayed two weeks. She got better. She went home. Six months later, she comes back, like with the determination look in her face. And she says, it's like I have a target on my back. Right. Bad stuff happens to me and it's not my fault. And it's like I have energetic cooties that just draw negative things. So she went home, she was home for two weeks. She fell down the stairs and sprained her ankle. Then a week later, her son broke his arm. And two weeks after that, her husband hurt his back and was home on work comp. And it was just about every two weeks, something came in. She came in and she said, this is not normal. And it's not my fault. And it's energetic cooties and and I think you can figure out a way to fix it with frequencies and I backed up about two feet and said that's not quite my skill set but 
Ryan is here. So Ryan Wilson was a naturopathic student who worked in the office. And Ryan um, was good at, he called it scanning, but it was kind of a muscle testing, self muscle testing thing. So he'd get an idea in his head and he would muscle test for it and he'd come up with frequencies. And I said, how about you and Ryan go into room four and you muscle test and see what you can come up with. So they came out with six pairs of their AB pairs. And then the last one, the seventh one is 88 and 65, which happened to be an AB pair from Harry Van Gelder called Resistance to Healing. The original six that Ryan came out with had names that are really just too weird to even talk about. It was basically energetic cooties. So Pat Lawless is a acupuncturist in Berkeley. Pat Lawless and Sandra Megan named them DMTO, definitely more than one, where the best way to describe it is where the patient's history makes the hair on the back of your neck stand up. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. Where there's just creepy, yucky stuff that shouldn't happen to people. Mm-hmm. Or when the other thing I've learned is that when they say they've been doing energetic work, mm-hmm. so they were trained in energy work, mm-hmm. my experience having been having worked with people who have been trained to do energy work, like my sister and other people, before you train someone to do energy work, and these are air quotes for those of you that are listening and not looking at my fingers, (laughs) before you train someone to do energy work, it's like giving a three-year-old an Uzi. You, You have to, they have to be prepared and centered and grounded and safe. Or when they do energy work, they they take their own personal energy and spread it out. Mm-hmm. So the one of the patients I saw recently, I I can kind of like anybody that's listening could if you put your hands together, there, there comes a point, if you close your eyes and you put your hands together, there comes a point where you can feel where just resistance, mm-hmm. it just feels warm or stiffer or mm-hmm. not just air, right? It's yeah. there. Okay. Yeah. So I do that with patients sometimes when it's appropriate. So when this guy started telling me about his energy work that he had been trained in, I reached out and tried to find his field, the edge of his field. It was back past the wall behind my back and he was six feet in front of me. And it's like, and your energy field is like a ball around you. And it's like, okay, So let's move your field. I want you to move it forward, closer to you. How do I do that? I said, you'll figure it out. 
And so pretty soon it comes in where I can find it. And then finally got it where it, where I think it belongs. It's denser and it's closer to your body. Right. So that's my next project with this particular patient is to run TTH on him because when you're, when you're not in your body, when you are so strung out or when you've used a lot of drugs or had a lot of surgeries or just weird stuff happens, it's like, you leave your house and the doors are open and the lights are on and energetic entities. For those of you that don't think this is too weird, um, make themselves at home. Come on in. I'm all good. The concept behind this was that there are energetic entities that literally feed on negative emotions, negative events, fear, pain. That's their, that's their jam. That's, that's what, that's what makes them feel good. So if they are in residence, they attract that to you. So after we, after Ryan developed this protocol, I'm thinking, okay, whatever. And I ran this on this lady for five days in a row. Fibromyalgia went away. Bad stuff stopped happening. And I'm like, okay, maybe, maybe. Okay. So then about three months later, I happened to have an office manager who was clairvoyant. Like he could really see the energy field. I can't see stuff like that. So David would come into the room and just lean up against the door and watch me work. And he would give me comments out in the hallway afterwards. And this is with the patient's permission. So I had a patient where I knew this was an issue. So David's leaning up against the door and he looks down at the patient. And then all of a sudden he looks up and then down and then out and then down and over and down and and so 20 minutes later we go out in the hall he said what were you doing and I said what did you see and he said well there was this black balls and squiggly things flying out of the patient's field that's fine where did they go right the important thing for me was are they sitting in the, on the ceiling in room three waiting to jump on me? So this was before I ever taught it. Before I teach anything, I make sure that it's safe. He said, no, they went out the back wall. He said, I wouldn't want to be in the pub next door. So I found out they were safe. And then I started teaching them. And they ended up on the laminate. They're called the tendency to have bad things happen. TTH. TTH, yeah right? Because if you call it definitely more than one DMTO, it's too weird for people. But the whole concept of energetic entities that climb on you is outside the realm of most people's belief systems. Mm -hmm. I've seen it work enough 
that, so if you get a class of 100 FSM practitioners in a room and you ask them, you know, if you ask them, could you run your practice without the concussion protocol? Absolutely nobody would raise their hand. How many of you have used TTH? And about 50, 60% raised their hand. Could you run your practice without that protocol? Absolutely nobody will raise their hand. When you need it, and for me, it's embarrassing that it's taken me so long with some patients to recognize it. But some patients, it's the first thing I do. Yeah. Get through the history, the hair on the back of your neck. Nobody should have that much bad stuff. Or they have a history of drug abuse or alcoholism or abusive parents or whatever. Mm-hmm. So you're on concussion in Vegas and TTH. And I'm really tempted with one of my patients to actually combine them. So she runs it three times a week. Okay. Okay. Is, was that on your list? Hey, the list just <laughs> morphs. We know that that happens. Yeah. So it's funny. It's been a voracious week of questions. People have been hitting me on all sorts of platforms, Facebook, Instagram, emailing. There's a new um, uh, web or sorry, email list that I have, like a landing page. So people can put some questions on there. So you can go to FSM. <laughs> You know, I'm just trying my best here. So, I love it. <laughs> so um, the the journey today was going in a lot of different directions, but there is one word that it just kept un- encompassing, and that was irritation. <laughs> That's an interesting phase. I've had patients that have just had irritating injuries. Nothing hugely traumatic. Nothing that's going to make the back of your neck hairs stand up, but these chronic irritating. So it's the patient, not you. Well, I've been irritated myself. (laughs) I'm glad. So this is where I want to start. I want to like, just like give this to the podcast right now. So the most irritating thing that somebody can give me is a garbage can diagnosis. And you have to be in the same camp as this. And I can see your face. And those of you who are just listening, it's like the face. So when somebody comes in and they say, I was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, I was diagnosed with frozen shoulder, the, the list can go on and on. Anytime for patients that are listening to this podcast, anytime you hear the word syndrome, this is because a bunch of people got together and sat in a room and couldn't figure it out what really is the problem. So they're like, let's just give this a name. So, right. So why are we still having the the need to throw irritating labels on conditions? Well, my approach to that is sometimes irritating to the patient, but they come in and they tell me I have X. Yeah. And it's like, and in the back of my head, I'm saying, X is a garbage can diagnosis. X is BS. Yeah. So the way I handle it with the patient, because the patient is now, at least they have a name for it. The patient is now attached, defined by their diagnosis because it was this guy in a white coat that they paid $400 an hour to, and he gave them the diagnosis. So now that's a real thing. 
And so my approach is, okay, wait, just, just give me a second here. Let's pretend that you didn't, that we don't have that word. And that stops the patient because I don't let them get very far with that. Yeah. Let's pretend we don't have that word. Tell me what your symptoms are. Right. Okay. Because X, um, I can't even think of, I know what you mean. Like fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue is the other one. Right. That is like such a, really? Yeah. So uh, let's pretend, just tell me what your symptoms are. Right. Fatigue. Okay. What does that mean? Um, uh, sleep disturbance, body pain. When did it start? Oh, I've had it my whole life. I think I was born with it. It's like, okay, nobody is born with fibromyalgia. Okay. Or chronic fatigue. Right. So tell me what you did in high school. Oh, I was, I did gymnastics and I, I was on, um, uh, the, the, uh, what do you call it? The drill team. And I, I played soccer. I said, okay, so you didn't have it in high school. What did you do in college? Oh, the first two years I did this, this, and this. And then what happened? When did this, this level of symptoms? Cause what happens is once, once the symptoms start and once the limbic system gets involved and the midbrain gets involved. You don't need to remember anything except how you got away from the tiger the last time. Right. So of course they've had it their whole life because every little symptom that any of us ever had when we were six, seven or eight, when you had the flu or you had your tonsils out or you broke your arm or you fell off your bike or whatever, and you got over it. Now, all of a sudden, now that you have this catastrophic diagnosis, and that's not to say that there aren't catastrophic diagnoses, but now that you have this diagnosis, now you can collect them all together and it's all related to the tiger. So I just, I just, I don't buy it. I just stop them. It's like, okay, let's pretend that that's, yes, I understand, but let's pretend you don't have that word. Tell me what your symptoms are and tell me when they started. And I hardly ever let them get away with since birth, unless they're Ehlers-Danos. Right. Ehlers-Danos is even, even the, like the mild EDS patients They've had sprained ankles. They've had body pain because they have lax ligaments in their discs. And so they end up being 40 and 10 patients. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, my favorite, my favorite story. If I do, I get, can I tell a story? Of course you can. Stories are the best part. Okay. So my favorite story is a lady. I have a picture of her someplace in one of the, the webinars she um, was the friend, close friend of a student at a seminar in London, uh, no, Chester. And they brought her in 
this was, they brought her in on day two and her diagnosis that she'd lived with, now she's 58 and she's lived with this diagnosis since she was 40. So 18 years, I have chronic fatigue. She has ME, mild something encephalopathy, right? So it's, I have chronic fatigue. When did it start? When I was 40. It was after I had my son and, and my arms were so painful and sore that I couldn't lift him. And I was tired all the time. How many children did you have? Uh, he was the seventh. Okay, that's a good face. That was my first reaction, really. And she said, yeah, and before that, I worked on the farm. I cooked breakfast, lunch, and dinner for all the farmhands and my husband and the kids. And I worked on the farm. And, and I did all this stuff. And then I got pregnant. How old were you when you got pregnant? 39. And tell me what the delivery was like. Uh, it was long labor and there was a lot of, a lot of pushing, right? So when, when you're holding on to something with your hands and you're pushing, you're putting a lot of strain on your neck. And I did her reflexes and she had really simple cervical trauma fibro for 18 years because of the way she delivered the baby. Mm -hmm. And then when her son was, maybe she was 32. When her son was seven, I asked her, when her son was seven, she took the child and she left the other six children and her husband. And I said, was he abusive? Oh yeah. And she detailed some of that. So she left with the kid and now he's grown and she's got body pain, fatigue, all the neuroendocrine stuff of fibromyalgia. So I ran 40 and 10 on her. All I had to do was a reflexes mm -hmm. and 40 and 10, she's out of pain, ran it for an hour, ran concussion in Vegas. Um, the next night she came back and we ran it again and then she left for two days and she had to, she came back on Sunday for show and tell. And she came back and she said, I, I missed the train or I was late for the train. So I ran the last two blocks. S excuse me. I ran the last two blocks. She had no body pain. She'd lived with this, pardon my French, this bull diagnosis for 18 years all in, you know nobody knows where it comes from and she's so I have a picture of her in leggings and a red top and her blonde hair um basically doing kick-ups and that's yeah so if you if you let her get away with the diagnosis and you don't do the history. When did it start? What do you, let's just, what are the symptoms? Yeah, it's really important. It's funny. Um, 
I had two patients in the last 10 days that came to me with, here's air quotes, frozen knees, frozen knees. So just like frozen shoulder, now we get to slap frozen knee as something. That's new. Two patients in 11 days. Yeah. So (laughs) one was a placement. No, this is just frozen knee. Someone can't bend their knee. Wow. So one patient is an existing patient. Yeah. When, and so when she had come to see me for some um, back pain, which turned out to be what you'd expect in a 60 some odd year old back, some degeneration, some stenosis, nothing, nothing we can't handle, nothing scary whatsoever. Um, but did have a lot of limited knee flexion, um, that someone slapped osteoarthritis on. It's like, we can get your osteoarthritis on it without an x-ray and MRI. Yeah, I believe the, I believe the x-rays were fine. So, um, anyways, long story short, got some more imaging of the back, showed some stenosis, the degeneration. Okay. We can work with this. No big deal. Um, and then came back and said, yeah, you know, now I have frozen knees and I saw the report or the referral from the doctor to the PT with frozen knee, like written down. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me. So I see here in the comments, um, um, at least part of this syndrome thing and labeling itself is a symptom of a healthcare system that speaking as a primary care physician makes the sort of behavior, the path of least resistance and even possible in the world of 15 minute visits, not to justify this behavior, but if we don't call out the system, we won't be able to fix it. Thanks for pointing this out. So thanks for that comment that we just got, but it's, it's can be, it can be debilitating if somebody gets labeled with something Um, I get it. People have to call, call it something, but why do we have to label something like frozen knees? Well, wait, somebody go look up. There is no, I will bet you money. No, there's no ICD 10. Is there an ICD 10 diagnosis for frozen? I don't know, but I had to Google this because like I said, I got two cases in 10 days. So the existing patient, when she came in, I looked at it and I rolled my eyes and she started laughing. And she's like, I know you get irritated with this kind of thing. And I said, yes, I get really irritated because you came to see me for back pain, leg pain. And that's exactly what we're going to do. We're going to fix your back pain and we're going to get your knees moving. Whether or not we slap a, a label such as frozen knees and it doesn't change where we're at today. It doesn't change where we're going to be in two weeks or a month from now. So that's kind of like the word irritation um, <laughs> is circulating this week. So um, yeah, frozen knees. I didn't even think that was a thing until like is I said, twice. 10 diagnosis for frozen knees. I don't know. I'd like, I'd like to, to see, but if you Google frozen knees, it's, it's okay. ridiculous. It's just knee immobility, not due to any specific cause. So it comes from, comes from space it comes from space but i think this is kind of this is exactly what you irritate irritates me the most (laughs) is when we get so caught up on on the the symptoms in the present right 
where did it come from? That is what you always have to be asking yourselves as any kind of practitioner, let alone what we do, right? It's, I get that your back hurts, but again, where did it start? It's all about going way over here to find the cause. I got one. Yeah. If frozen, frozen knees or lack of knee mobility. Yeah. Look at the neck. Yeah. Feel the tone in the adductor brevis, the quads, the calves and the hamstrings. Um, If you run 81, if they're all tight, you can't flex your knees because your quadriceps is so tight, are so tight. You run 81 and 10, that all starts to smush. Then you know it's coming from the neck. Now for the patients that are listening, 81 is the frequency for increasing secretions and 10 is the frequency for the spinal cord. So I, from personal experience, I had a cervical myelopathy that made my left leg really stiff. And when we ran 81 and 10, the stiffness went away. Then I got this autoimmune thing that interferes with GABA and 81 and 10 is how increasing secretions in the spinal cord were increasing descending inhibition of tone. Now this isn't spasticity like cerebral palsy, although 81 and 10 works for cerebral palsy, um, but increasing descending inhibition is increasing GABA, we think, because the tone just relaxes. Now, will it stay relaxed? Maybe, maybe not. You run it, the patient goes, oh, I can bend my knee. Did you do anything to the knee? No. What did you do? You relaxed the tone in the quadriceps and the hamstrings and the lower leg muscles that were preventing the knee from bending. So where do you go from there? You work on their neck. My next step with a frozen knee patient would be an MRI of the cervical spine. You mm-hmm. do the physical exam that would justify or elucidate, you know, tease out mm-hmm. what's up, what are her knee reflexes like? Mm-hmm. Are they really, really brisk? What are her upper reflexes like? Yeah. Because stiff knees without any arthritis in the x ray. Yeah. Um, also went for a joint effusion. Um, cause I sent her to somebody local here in California that I love that does all sorts of injectable fun things. She's like, yeah, these aren't too bad. I pulled some fluid, but she's fine. She just needs tracking and, um, stability exercises. Okay. I agree. Love that. So here's the thing. How can you call something frozen knees? Because what are your active, passive and resisted tests? So two patients when in their sixties with the history of stenosis and disc degeneration, like you said, issues with the cervical spine actively, hardly in a range, but passively, once I get her dwarfed, I can pull an extra 40 degrees of knee flexion. So how is that frozen knees? How is that frozen? If I can actually get it to move, but I'm not sure who did their tests, didn't get her sedative enough she's afraid to bend her knees another patient too much tone or exactly other patient mid-20s 
used to be a triathlete, frozen knees. Uh, <laughs> I'm sorry. That's just like, and how did you deal with that? Okay. So this is where like irritation, why that's the theme of the last seven days. I'm like, you don't have frozen knees. You've got some tracking issues. You've got a little bit of chondromalacia patella going on. Nothing that we can't fix. Again, it's figuring out what's stuck, what's resisted, what's weak. What's inhibited. Yes. So how much of the muscle stuff do we fix by running 13 or removing adhesions between the nerve and the muscle? Right. The cerebellum is not going to let you move a muscle or a joint when the nerve is adhered. That is a huge part. And I know we're, we're really targeting that a lot more teaching the core, but that is the basis of every thought that I have when I have a patient that has a restriction. Um, yeah, yeah. You, your cerebellum is not going to let you rip a nerve. Yep. Not going to, not going to do it. No. And the challenge that we have with F- being FSM practitioners is nobody else thinks about it because they can't do anything about it. No. So why would they think about it? Right. I think it's the muscle and it's not the muscle isn't weak. It's inhibited. The muscle isn't tight. The cerebellum has prevented it from moving because, and then, then you tease out the history. Oh yeah. I fell in bruised or I had a what is that groin pole? That's my other favorite one. Yeah. 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 One of the patients I have seen in the recent past, he's had five surgeries to release scar tissue between the nerve and the fascia. And he wonders why his sciatic nerve is sort of tethered and scarred up near his butt, right where that incision is. Could there be a better transition than my next um, question here? Because this is going to go perfectly. I'm going to just glance at my phone really quick because I had to take a screenshot. This came to us from a um, practitioner that posted this on my Facebook page. Um, I'll just read you the question out loud here and then you can chime in because it goes exactly with what you were just saying. A patient with chronic fatigue slash tethered cord syndrome contacted me because she is interested in FSM to dissolve any scar tissue from the surgery she has had to release the tethered cord. She Mm. is worried that the surgery could result in adhesions and the need for more surgery. Mm. I do not know very much at all about her condition and have never met her, but wondered what protocols one would use in a case like this. What would be a frequency of the treatment be and what duration would it need to be administered? You start now. And, and this is why we run concussion in Vegas on ourselves five nights a week. Right. Yeah. So the, I've seen tethered cord patients who are elders, Danlos patients Mm. and the way they're diagnosed with tethered cord is that's, that's the first thing they're 
they're how was this diagnosed? Right. I mean, I've seen patients with diagnosed tethered cord. They did a myelogram. Yeah. And he had pain in his face, his neck range of motion, like he couldn't tip his head more than maybe 10, 15 degrees inflection. Yeah. And when he did, it hurt in his sacrum and his tailbone and it hurt up in his head. Right. That was the first tethered cord patient I ever saw. And it's like, it was three sessions. It was easy. Right. But when their elders, the last three tethered cord patients I've seen don't make any sense to me. Hmm. There's one that has, has been told by a physical therapist that she has cranio-cervical COC1 instability. How was this demonstrated? Well, they did this video x-ray. So, okay, did, did they do flexion extension and APOM side bending? No, no, they did this video and this chiropractor told, tells me that my COC1 is unstable. Okay. And then, and then we said, I don't, I don't know how to handle this because they are so convinced that, well, they're terrified because the Vegas doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And they're so convinced that these two physical therapists that they saw were correct and they have tethered cord and they're unstable at the same time. Does that make sense to you? No. Okay, I'm because I'm asking because I don't know what to do with her. It's like she's, it, it's I, I don't understand tethered cord. The ones I've treated that were truly tethered cord, and not hypermobile, just truly tethered cord. It's three sessions. Yeah, it's like it's what we do in the core after you treat fibro. Right. Wrap around the neck, towel under the feet. You have them sit up on the edge of the bed. And then you have them, I don't ever start them with neck flexion because if, if the dura is really adhered inside their skull, it's too hard on the foramen magnum. Okay. So I have them just start with trunk rotation, mm. five, 10 degrees and trunk flexion. And when you ask them to flex their trunk, they flex from the hips forward. Right. It's like, no, then I put my hand in right at just below the ribs. And it's like, I want you to bend your spine. And what are you running? 13 and 443. Right. And 13 and 10. You can okay. flip back and forth with the. Do you normally start with the dura first? Yeah. I do much. too. Yeah. And then, so scarring on the dura, scarring on the cord, and you have them because the dura has rotary fibers as well as the straight up and down ones. Right. And flex at the trunk rotate and then then they can start moving their neck mm -hmm. and when it feels tight they stop yeah go back to neutral you wait a few minutes the other way to treat them is laying down and it's you, you see me do it in seminars you just bend their knees yes right it got hit in the neck with a hockey stick and his knee flexion was 90 
just 90 degrees. Well, the pelvis won't move because the dirt is adhered. Bend his knees and his head pops forward or his head pops back. And it's like, oh, your dura mm-hmm. is adhered. Mm-hmm. So dura, cord, flexion, knee flexion. And then 20 minutes, his knees up to his chest. And um, yeah, that's, yeah, I'm with you. There are patients where it's just like the diagnosis makes no sense. I challenge any patients out there who are listening, who have got anything that said that ends in syndrome, ask your person who slapped you with this diagnosis to explain it to you. Say, well, what does that mean? Because sometimes that can make it easier when you, when somebody comes to see me, there are, most of them are in a state of panic, like my chronic pain patients. They're they've got this condition. They've had it for a long time. Maybe they have new labels that are attached to it right now. And a lot of times it's just taking them off the ceiling for the first like 20 minutes. Like this is not new. This just means you can't move your knee and we'll figure out why that is. The the other, the other thing that I say that seems to make a difference is Nothing you have scares me. Yeah. There's, they have this whole laundry list and they're terrified. And you look them in the eye and say, yeah, nothing you have scares me. Because with using FSM, you have the ability to take it apart. Yes. So you look at this whole laundry list and you say, okay, that's 40 and 10. That's straightforward. That's abdominal adhesions. That's the vagus, and that's abdominal. It, it's not that hard. So right. that, and that's just Ehlers-Danlos. Right. Right. That's the one that the Ehlers-Danlos patients just, I don't know, it, how, when I say, well, it's like, yeah, it's not that hard to fix. Right. It, it'll only last a week. Right. But here. You do the bait and score and they're eight out of nine or seven out of nine or nine out of nine. And you look at their pain diagram and it's a 40 and 10 diagram. So you ran torn and broken in the connective tissue from neck to feet. You run inflammation in the spinal cord from neck to feet. You run the vagal tone straight up vagal tone from neck to abdomen and Usually you have to treat irritable, irritable bowel, but if you take it apart into things that it, we can each treat, it's not that scary. Right. So telling them, you, you don't scare me. I always scare doctors. I don't scare me. It's like, it's not my first rodeo. Have a seat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I'm like that as well. I mean, yeah, there's a certain amount of, um, I guess, confidence that comes after a little while. And I think that's one thing too, but I think we have to start um, preparing people who take the core. Like we talked about, we, we talk a lot about the failures. We don't prepare people for the successes. We're also not preparing them for the big cases that come from space into your clinic, because that is a real thing um, of getting the really complex patients. And sometimes it happens really fast after a week of training (laughs) or sometimes it happens a bit longer, (laughs) but, um, 
yeah, I, I think there has to be a certain amount of confidence that you have as an FSM practitioner because you have this amazing tool belt that not a lot of practitioners I know of that do anything else have access to. Nobody. It's why they don't, they think, I. God bless myofascial therapists and physical therapists. They think it's the muscle because that's what they feel. And in our world, you feel a tight muscle. And the fir- I don't know about you, but the first thing I think of is 81 and 10, increase descending inhibition, and 40 and 396. Quiet down the nerve and the muscle goes smush. Right. Okay. That, that wasn't that hard. Now we have to figure out what irritated the nerve in the first place. Correct. Yeah. And what is it that's interfering with descending inhibition? Right. But there's nobody else, if you don't have a tool that lets you do that, there's nobody else that's going to think that way. Right. right. I think a lot of us, um, if that is a whole other part of the FSM training is to, you're reinventing yourself as a diagnostician because you, yeah, if you're in physical medicine, you think it's the muscle because that's all, you know, how to feel. And that's all, you know, how to treat. Um, but again, you know, going back to, I had ridiculously good training back in Canada in the nineties and the people that trained me, it was never okay. Patient comes in and their shoulder is sore. Look at the shoulder. It's like, okay, make a note that they have pain in their shoulder, but your job is to assess and figure out biomechanically what's off. It doesn't come from space. It never comes from space. And for the visceral medicine patients and practitioners out there, Mm -hmm. the thing that makes FSM practitioners different is irritable bowel is never irritable bowel. It doesn't come from space. I did functional medicine for probably eight, 10, 12 years before I discovered the fact that the vagus nerve controls T cells and macrophages. So treating irritable bowel, even inflammatory bowel disease, when you're a, a functional medicine or medical provider takes a really long time, a really restrictive diet, eight supplements twice a day. It's, it's a real project. And for us, it's like, well, yes. So we treat your bowel, get rid of the inflammation, the histamine, and we treat your vagus nerve and irritable bowel is like two weeks, not four years, just two weeks. So it's, we have a tool that makes us think about diagnosis differently than other people. Yes. The people that have just taken the core. Should I apologize now? I have to, the, the thing is that we, we can't tell you this in the pain and injury or the neurovisceral. If you, if you opened up the whole thing all at once, you get scared to death. Yeah. So you have to start with the small steps and say, well, this is nerve pain. Then I think you learn as much from your failures as you do your successes. Maybe more. Yeah. It's like, okay, that didn't work. And if you're lucky, the patient comes back and you get another shot at it. 
Right. And in between times, you rethink it. Right. And I think that's so um, another point to drive home why we start with the nerve, right? When I took the core, it was treat the nerve, treat the joint, treat the muscle. Like that was just like, and I didn't think about why I did it. It's kind of like if you're a Catholic and you just stand up and I would say to my husband, why are we standing up at this part? He's like, I don't know. We're just standing up here. (laughs) We just do it. We just treat the nerve first. That's why we do it. But it makes sense why we do it. A, because what we were just talking about, cerebellum is not going to let you move if a nerve is stuck. Um, But also forget our our diagnosis and forget our job, you want to get the patient out of pain. So 40 and 396 and 13 and 396 is going to at least take pain down for the most part, if you're not getting anywhere with um, 10, with 40 and 10 or 81 and 10. Well, the nice thing is you can treat both at once. Exactly. Somebody with nerve pain or even knee pain. Yeah. The spinal cord is sensitized. Thank you, Jay Shaw who's Jay Shaw is coming back this year. I'm so excited. Yes. We get a I love his slides. A whole day of Jay Shaw. I'm so excited. Anyway, so spinal sensitization and central sensitization, but in order for you to touch somebody that has nerve pain or sciatica, the first thing you do is you set them up from neck to feet and you quiet the inflammation of the sensitization in the cord. Yeah. while you're setting up the other machine that's going to treat the nerve. Right. And they say, what are you, what are you doing that thing from my neck to my feet for? It's like, oh, that's just to quiet down your spinal cord. Okay. And they, they accept that. Totally. Yeah. It's like, they don't believe, I'm not sure they believe you or know what that means, but you can explain it later after they're stoned. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, sometimes depending on the patient, I'll just say, oh, this is just this machine's gonna help me do something else over here. Like, yeah. Okay. Yeah, keep it general. Yeah. You don't need to explain too much. It's so funny how our transitions from topic to topic just go so organically. It's just I for those of you who are listening and watching, we really prepare zero. Like what you see is um <laughs> kind of what you get. <laughs> So I jot down stuff with my pencil right before we come on. And um, here we are. One of the things that um, I get questions about, I'm sure you do too, is about um, some practice management stuff, how to incorporate into your practice. But I get a lot of questions about, do you rent custom cares? And if you do, how much do you rent them? And I know you're rolling your eyes right now. So this, you and I tend to agree on, I would say like 99.3% of things. This may be the one thing that we differ on quite a bit, and maybe I'll join your camp and a couple more failures, but. Um, depends. Yeah. The, the month that I lost three custom cares, one month in 1990. No, it was when they first, it wasn't custom cares. It was actually the little rehabilitator unit that we had. Okay. That expensive, but the lady brought it in literally in a Ziploc bag, and she said, "I I dropped it in the driveway, then I ran over it with the car." And then the next one came in two weeks later, and the dog had chewed the end of it off. Now I have a puppy now, and now I understand. Yes, 
Speaking of puppy, mine's in the room with me and she might bark, but. Hi, honey. <laughs> um, and it's like, if you can't, if they can't afford to buy it, they can't afford to replace it. So my approach has been only, only rent units that you can afford to lose. Right. Right. And credit card deposit. Yeah. So that they have that they know it, and there are practitioners that rent them that have these great rental agreements. I don't rent them because I suck at that. Yeah. So I'll take your rental agreement and maybe I'll change my approach. I've had, I've had multiple different approaches with it. So, so working from home has its perks because you get to hang out with your dog and uh, <laughs> all the fun stuff that comes with it. So I had, I had, I love sending patients home with custom cares because I think it really helps my job when I see them the next time. So you have this awesome bridge of continuing treatment. So sometimes I will rent them slash lend them slash loan them a custom care because they need it. And I want to get that case closed and seven treatments in the clinic, as opposed to 107, if they didn't have this tool. So sometimes it's totally um, selfish. I'm like, here, take this, run it, come back on Tuesday. Yeah. Cause I can't see them in between all that. Yeah. The other, so I have a funny story. I was in Canada practicing. There was a young college broke athlete that I had lovingly taken into the practice to help him. And, um, he took the custom care. He was getting really great results. Um, he had a out of country track meet, um, that he's like, can I please take it with me on my track meet? I'm like, yes. Cause I wanted to help him and I wanted him to be the next Canadian Olympian. Um, so he took it, went on his track meet, had a phenomenal track meet. I said, make sure you come in and see me when you're back. I'll take the custom care. Make sure your knees holding up. He comes back. No custom care. I said, where'd the, where'd the custom care go? He's like, ah, oh, the airline lost my luggage. I'm like, the airline lost your luggage. Okay, that doesn't really happen that often. And why did you have it in your luggage and not your carry-on? He's like, yeah, I, I, I just totally forgot. I'm like, okay, well, I had a phenomenal um, rental agreement in place. And I said, okay, we'll give the airline a couple days to um, maybe get the luggage back. Otherwise, you put a claim in. I'll talk to your coach. I'll talk to the university. Um, they'll have to make a claim. I'll have to let them know how much this cost. And he got all kind of nervous and weird. And he's like, well, maybe they'll find it. So I went back and I looked at his custom care agreement. I pulled that up. I pulled up the, um, the file on the, um, on the mode bank, like on our software that we had. And I realized that it expired in one day, the, um, prescription. Uh. Wouldn't you know that the day after the machine expired, it magically appeared. They found the luggage. They found the luggage. Magic. Day after the expiration. So clinicians out there who rent out your custom cares, there is a handy dandy expiration date when you program these devices. And it's really important because these machines are useless if there is no prescription on there. So 
sometimes you can get sloppy and you're in a hurry and you'll just program it to the year 2099, but that is a huge component. And in the in between time, I told this young man, I said, well, I'm going to have to charge your credit card because you didn't bring it back when you said you did. And when the airline reimburses you for the lost stuff, we'll figure it out then. I tried to charge his credit card and he had canceled it Mm. because that's what you can do. So with patients that I don't know very well, or I don't have a lot of, they don't have a lot of street cred with me. um, And it will cost you a little bit more with your credit card um, billing, but I will charge them $2,000 and then reverse the charge when they bring it back. So, but it's like you said, if people don't have $2,000 uh, as a credit limit, I mean, you're, it's just kind of here or there. I don't know. It's, I would appreciate if you send me a copy of your rental agreement, that would be I will. Nice. Yeah. It's because so many of my patients come from out of town. Yeah. It's. And because seeing me costs, you know, 150 or $200 an hour. Yeah. Um, then, and they see me for two or three hours at a time. It doesn't take, it's arithmetic. It doesn't take a lot to figure out that it's less expensive to be able to treat yourself at home and see me once every three months. Right. Look at how much it's already paid for itself. Right. And this the other reason that I make them invest in that is it's important for, especially for pain patients, athletes, it's a business expense. That's easy, right? Yeah. But for pain patients, all of the literature shows that the patients do better when they have control over their pain. I want you to be able to get yourself out of pain anytime you want. You don't need me. Right. And this is all of the things that have been done to them are passive. It makes me crazy. Yeah. A little crazy. Well, a little crazier than I am anyway, but it's just every everybody goes to see somebody. I have to see my chiropractor twice a week. Why? Yeah. Well, because my atlas slips out. Did he give you exercises? <laughs> N- no. Oh, okay. So we can we can talk about that. I want you to be able to treat yourself, and this gadget will do that. So then you do the supine cervical practicum. You get their atlas just sort of goes thunk when you treat torn, broken in the ligaments. Right. And it's algebra. I mean, it's not even algebra, it's arithmetic. It's straight up math, yes. Yeah, do the math. So the rental agreement makes sense, except I want the patient to have some skin in the game. Yeah. And paying me to treat them passively doesn't doesn't get it. Yeah, that's a really good point. You know, with, um, with my pro athletes, they want one like, like 10 minutes into the conversation for the same reason they want to have the, 
the kryptonite, you know, they want to have that magic wand should something happen and they know they are going to get injured. They're going to need it for recovery. When we start talking to, you know, patients, um, about this, I had a couple of patients when I said, you know, maybe it makes more sense for you to buy a custom care and to see me, you know, once a month for some maintenance. Why do you think I'm going to have this condition for the rest of my life? Why would I need this? Why can't you fix this? And I'm like, Oh, whoa, (laughs) whoa stop, take a breath. This condition is easy to manage, but you will have something at some point, like we're all exposed to, you know, injuries, viruses, stress, digestive issues. Oh, I, I didn't know it could do all that. I'm like, okay. So peel you off the ceiling and like, then I tell them, it's like, I treat myself every single night yes you what's the matter with you it's like well i'm 75 you are not yeah yeah Yeah, i am yeah and it's like concussion and emotional relax and balance they said well what's that about it's like well do you listen to the news oh yeah do do you drive on the freeway oh oh yeah okay that's that's trauma. I've got a question here. Yeah, um, let's get to the questions. Yeah, becoming an FSM practitioner, can you tell me how much do custom cares cost? Tried to email the company. The precision distributing doesn't publish prices until you're a practitioner. So if you if you take the course, then the price of the machines they're not outrageous they're what like two thousand dollars i think maybe a bit and, more but around there yeah. yeah and well then you have the software that you buy once and then you right. can program forever um and the same lady i'm looking into the avazia yet yeah, n- no it no it do, no it doesn't do fsm you need two channels and um the custom care is programmable and it allows you to create protocols and customize protocols for patients. And, and it, it comes with the fantastic mode bank to get you started. Like yeah. you don't, you're not stuck having to program stuff. So yeah. it has it's a lot of good things. I want this. I want that. My patients yeah. having their hip replaced. And um, then I just tell the story about, I have, I had my hip replaced and I didn't bruise, excuse me. And I was walking upstairs with a reciprocal gate in eight days. No. <laughs> and then, so that usually takes care of that. And then the post-op and the skin anti-aging. I've had patients buy a custom care just, just for the anti-aging stuff. Yeah. The follow-up question is, what's the minimum training for the custom care? Um it's any of the devices are the same. You don't need the custom care. Doesn't have any less training um, than any of the other devices. Yeah. It's a, one of the three day modules, pain and injury. If that's, if that's what you see or do, Um, if you're just going to train your, if you're just going to treat yourself, what are you interested in? What do you have? Mm -hmm. It's, it's, um, it's hard to, it's kind of like eating popcorn. It's hard to stop with just one. So you think you're going to just take the pain and injury. And then the next weekend is the neurovisceral. And then there's a webinar. 
And then, and then there's, there's the sports course. And then there's the sports course. And then there's podcast. And then there's an advanced. Yeah. And then it's just it. It evolves. Yeah. It evolves and evolves. Yeah. Um, are there any trained FSM therapists in Denmark? Linda would like to know. Netherlands. Where's Teddy? Teddy, where's Becky? I think he's in the Netherlands. And I think of, you know, Denmark, the Netherlands, that whole, you know, it's like the way we think of New England. There's eight, you throw a rock and you cross, you know, three state lines. Yeah. So that's the way I think of my geography for that part of the world is not great. But Teddy, where's Becky is an, is an MD. And the first course I taught in Germany, we had one of the most difficult um, CRPS patients I've, I've ever, ever treated. And Teddy was brand new to FSM, but he's a pain specialist and an MD with a good knowledge of neurology. And so the two of us just bonded over getting this patient out of pain in, it took us three practicums over two days. Yeah. But so Teddy's just the best. Okay. So he's my go-to guy. Okay. I'm sure if you looked on the. Um... Oh, oh, and Joanna Vanderbilt. Oh, of course. How could I think about it? Yeah. Joanna Vanderbilt is in um, the Netherlands as well. Yeah. Yeah. Kevin can search. You can go on the FSM website. The international search is a little difficult because there's there's no zip codes. Right. And um, so you just you click on view advanced search options oh, and then you can view. The okay, view advanced search options and, um, and then choose the country. And then choose the country. There you go. That's how you find the ones name of this doctor. Yeah. So just go to advanced. Wait, go to advanced yeah. search options and um, uh, what was her name? Which one? The lady. Oh, uh, Joanna Vanderbilt. Oh, yeah. Joanna Vanderbilt took the course yeah. a million years ago. And the MD is um, Teddy, where's Becky? Okay. And Leaf, was there a Zoom podcast last week? Absolutely. Was it recorded always? Is it available? Kevin puts them on the website yep. under frequencyspecific.com. They're on the website, they're on YouTube, and they're also backslash on website. They're on the YouTube. website, they're on YouTube. Apple Podcasts. Apple Podcasts. We are everywhere. They're, we're everywhere. It's, which is why I put on makeup. Once I found out they're actually putting them on YouTube, it's like, no, no, no. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> It's the fun part. People need to see us laughing. I missed the frequencies for TTH. Um, that was the first question a while back. I call it 610 and 450. I, in 24 years, I have never, this, this protocol was developed in 1997, 98, when Ryan was there. Right. In 24 years, I've never memorized it. I you don't need to. There's enough I, stuff in your beautiful big brain. You don't need room for that. That's why there's um, a laminate. So 610 and 450, 450, 640. And then after that, I lose it. So it's on the custom care. There's no circumstance under which it's on the auto care. It's on the custom care. There's no circumstance under which you would run this by hand. 
No, no. You just, you could even put it on a magnetic converter. Yeah. And run it on that while you're doing other physical things. Yeah. All right. We are out of time already. It hasn't been an hour. It's been over an hour because we even start, we've been starting earlier and earlier and, you know, we just have so much fun. It is. I, I like the fact that it's unscripted and we just sort of careen well, from one topic to another. I'm glad that you and I are having fun anyways, and it works for us because um, hopefully it's not too crazy to follow, but um, keep everybody's questions coming. So you can head over to fsm365.com. There's a whole landing page on there and you could pop your questions in. You just kind of join onto the list and um, send your questions to contact at frequencyspecific.com. You could find us on, I think those are the two best ways to send your questions or even on Instagram. So it's FSM sports 365 is the handle on Instagram. If you put the questions up too many places or too hard to gather them up, but I think we have so many great topics and questions and fun things ahead that we'll just keep doing it this way until we're told otherwise. Yeah. And Leif said, what time did you start? I think you started about five, six, five or six minutes till. Kevin and I got on a little bit early just to say hi to each other. I put makeup on. It's like... I stop. I will never see patients on Wednesday, but these these two people are here for five days in a row. Yeah. If you want to, yeah. Anyway, you have to do it. There you go. I hear that. It was pretty fun. It's I always fun. Enjoy this. I love doing it. Yeah. So until next Wednesday, I can hardly wait. Me too. All well, right, everybody. Take care. Okay. Thanks. See you all next week. See you next week. The Frequency Specific Microcurrent Podcast has been produced by Frequency Specific Seminars for entertainment, educational, and information purposes only. The information and opinion provided in the podcast are not medical advice, do not create any type of doctor-patient relationship, and unless expressly stated, do not reflect the opinions of its affiliates, subsidiaries, or sponsors or the hosts, or any of the podcast guests or affiliated professional organizations. No person should act or refrain from acting on the basis of the content provided in any podcast without first seeking appropriate medical advice and counseling. No information provided in any podcast should be used as a substitute for personalized medical advice and counseling. FSS expressly disclaims any and all liability relating to any actions taken or not taken based on or any contents of this podcast.